Peter's writing to a lot of believers who have been persecuted. They have been um, witness to others who have been persecuted, some of them even tortured. Um, they've heard of reports of the emperor, Nero, having done crazy, awful things to believers where sometimes he would even light them on fire while they were still alive in order to light up his garden. Um, there was talk of how they would be eaten alive by animals in the Colosseum and these sorts of things. And so persecution was heavy. And um, people around town would talk about Christians weird. They were thought of as strange. The, uh, lies were started about them where because they said, hey, I love you, brother. Or I love you, sister. People started saying, hey, the, the church is incestuous. Uh, they started talking about how because they took communion and they were eating Christ's body and his blood, that they were baby eaters because Jesus had came as a baby. So all these lies were going about the church. And here's this church just trying to love the Lord and live in their faith. And so Peter's writing to them and he's telling them, hey, you know what? Jesus is precious. His blood is precious. The faith he's given you is precious. His word is precious. Jesus is just the best. And now you're being built on top of this precious cornerstone, Jesus, into this 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 temple of God. You as the community of the church, you are the people of God. You're in this kingdom. And so he's he's building upon this preciousness to begin to reveal to them. Now that you are a part of this body, you are called into something greater. You are part of a great kingdom. And as a part of this great kingdom, you are now exiles and sojourners. You're no longer a part of the world. You've been called out of the world, even though you must still go to work. And even though you live alongside of other people who are not believers, you are not a part of that world anymore because your heart is now part of my kingdom. You're part of a great kingdom. And what he's going to do is now that he's based us into the preciousness of Jesus, our faith, the word of God, and now being built upon the cornerstone of Jesus. What does that look like in our daily life? And the reality is this, because we're a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we are called as believers to go over and above, over and above. So if the world is satisfied with putting out this much effort, no, we go further. Just as it was talked about in the Gospels, if somebody tells you to go one mile, you go two mile. If you've got two jackets, you give a jacket away. We go over and above to display Jesus Christ to the world. And so now as we have this this great thing of Jesus and being in this kingdom, he's going to press us into saying, now this is how you live your life. And this is where it gets a little bit difficult for us living it out in a way that's, that's still hard to our flesh. It's hard to our flesh. So Peter's going to begin addressing some of these things. And he starts out, this is First uh, Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he begins by saying, hey, you're no longer part of this world. You're sojourners, exiles waiting for another place, the king that comes from that place. And so while you're here, you must abstain from the passions of the flesh. Why? Because those things are actually inside of you Warring against your soul. Now, at this point, usually we like to deflect and say, it's not my problem. The biggest problem is not me. It's the devil. Or the biggest problem is the fact that this world just has so much evil going on. It's constantly pressing me into things that are evil. But he says here, the problem is. These passions of the flesh, these lustful, the desires that go on within you, and it's not just sexual it's all kinds of things in which your flesh says, I must have more. I can't stop 
having it. This is the flesh. And it's not something outside of you. It's something inside of you. So inside of you, there is this battle that's going on. And Paul says, or excuse me, Peter says, you have to abstain from it. That doesn't say just get most of it out or you can still do a little bit. He says all of it must be gone. This soul that you have is too important to allow anything in to pollute it. You wouldn't let something come in and pollute your drinking water. The same has to be true about your soul. The fleshly passions that are within you have to be driven out. Those evil desires that are more important than Jesus have to be driven out. And so he goes on to talk about the purpose. He says, because the conduct of your life is as that war is going on in your soul, there's going to be actions that come from that. It's your conduct. And as your conduct is is being on display and he says Gentiles, what he means there is not just non-Jews. He's meaning unbelievers as unbelievers are watching you. They're saying, hey, this guy's always talking about this precious Jesus, how he's been saved by amazing grace and how, how great it is to go to church once a week. And there's this foundation. But you know what? He looks nothing different than me. Are you using the same foul language as the world? Are you watching the same shows as the world? Are you caught up in the same financial uh, desires as the world? Is your conduct exactly the same as the world? If so, why should they care about Jesus? But if we have gone over and above, this says as a result of our conduct, when they see our conduct, and even though they speak against us, that on the day that Jesus comes, They would glorify him as a result that they would see our good deeds and say, but you know what? They always, you know what? They didn't use the same language and at work. They were honest. And when people needed help, they went over and above to just heap upon people help. And even though I spoke bad against them right now, I'm face to face with Jesus and I give him glory because of the good deeds I witnessed his people do. And so that's our opportunity. Is to live for Christ, but in such a display that. Other people might be drawn maybe to Christ. He goes on then and talks about something else. Another segment. And this one could be a little bit difficult. This says in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He's talking about government. He's talking about uh, people who have been given authority over you. So be subject to the Lord uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or the king or the president as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the king or honor the president. And so it goes on and it goes away from this war that's going on in your soul and now puts it into how are you to be a citizen? If you're a part of God's kingdom, how do you also participate in the kingdom of the world in which you live, whether in that day it was Rome or in this day, United States of America? How do we approach being a citizen in America? The same people that are called Christians might be over in North Korea today saying, how do I live as a Christian under a communist dictator? There might be people that are over in, you know, I don't know where, China, who are saying the same thing, or in Africa. Uh, and, and the believers are saying, how do I participate as a citizen of this country? 
A lot of times we might like to have this rebelliousness that comes up with us and we might have lots of excuses as to why I should defy the king or the governor or the mayor or whoever's been put in charge of me, whether it's the principal at my school, the teacher of my class, the coach of my team, the parent in my house. I don't get along with them. I don't agree with their policies. I don't like what they're doing to me. But God says, honor them. Honor them. I don't know where you stand politically. I don't know if you love our president. I don't know if you hate our president. I don't know if you like our governor. I don't know if you disagree with the governor. I don't know what you think of the mayor of your town. You may have voted for those people. We have a country where in freedom we get to vote or not vote and you've given your vote and that's fine. But no matter how you voted. As a person of God. We are called to honor them. Jesus said through the scriptures as well in the New Testament, uh, as, as Paul was writing, he said, pray for them. Pray for the king. Pray for the one who's in authority, who's been put over you. Why? Because they might come to faith. In the midst of even while persecution is coming on, we should be honoring that king. We should be living as people who are open testimony about Jesus Christ. And that is difficult because even while right now we get along pretty well, there are some brothers and sisters in this world who are being tortured this very moment for their faith. And they're under the same guideline. And now we, too, are to be going under. I'm going to bring up a, a story here pretty soon about that um, from the scriptures that I think highlights why. Why would we do that? But I want to go on to the next one. Maybe it's not just dealing with with uh, uh, the government, but now also what does it mean at work? This is talking about servants and, and slaves at the time. It says in verse 18, servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it, is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So this says if 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 you have somebody who's over you, if you're a servant now this day, we're not really slaves anymore. But if you've got somebody over you who's harsh, who's unjust, he says, you still need to go and do your best. You've got to go over and above and just go all out. I could probably have you all raise your hand if you've ever had a bad boss and probably everybody in here be like, I've had a wicked boss. I remember I went in between uh, being the pastor in Seattle and being the pastor here at Unity. I had a, a temp job while I was just uh, searching around and, um, uh, and I went and worked at this door factory. Some of the doors you'd buy over at Home Depot, I probably helped on back over there in Washington. So I remember I, I went into this factory and I didn't, I didn't know how to do doors, but they were instructing me. And, we, and I, I remember we were, we were um, having to sand all the edges down and we were putting them on special hooks and they'd go into this conveyor belt where they'd get sprayed and painted and, and here we are working hard. And, and I remember this lady marching out from, uh, from this office on the far side of the warehouse. And man, you could hear her as soon as she came out that door. And we were working hard. We were sweating, doing the best we could. She came, what in the world's going on out here? Now, we're working as hard as we can. And there always had to be something wrong. We always did something terrible. We weren't working hard enough. The doors weren't painted just right. I mean, something was always wrong. And you notice it was just sad. I was just sad for her all the time. 
that there was this constant need of hers to try to tr- be over everybody and, and, and lord her authority. I don't know what was going on in her life, but I remember this. The Lord said, work your tail off. Keep your mouth shut and work your tail off. And so that I did. And, and I kept thinking, well, maybe there's going to be this opportunity this, with this woman to share the Lord. And I never got an opportunity with that lady. But you know what? I got opportunity with the other co-workers. And you know what the conversations with the co-workers were like at lunch? I can't believe that lady and calling her names and this and that and the other. And here I get an opportunity to talk about the Lord. And if I had been a sluggard, if I had just been talking about her all the time, what good had that have done? I'd just be like everybody else. I wouldn't have gone over the above and then wouldn't have the background for the testimony of which I'd give them concerning Christ. And so we have an opportunity, even in the harshest of moments, to prepare for those opportunities when somebody might come into contact with the grace of Jesus. And that's why for the longest time, I couldn't understand part of this passage when it said in verse 20, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What does he mean by how could that be gracious if I've been doing good, but I'm suffering for it? What grace is in that? Friends, it's when you're being persecuted. It's when you're at your weakest. It's when life hurts that God comes in and says, yeah, but I'm here. I am with you in the midst of this persecution, this prison, this hardship. Even when your boss is on you, I am here. I'm I'm showing you my grace. And it's also those times when somebody is witnessing you in that hardship that they're going to come to a greater understanding of God's grace, too. I remember I was reading this week on a website for the persecuted church, and I was reading this quote by a a Chinese man who had been in a prison camp for 23 years over there. And he said, you know what? I had my cell. I was persecuted. I had my cell. You know what happened in that cell? I came close to the Lord. I didn't have anything else. So as a result of being persecuted, it caused me to come and to know Jesus more. And I, I, I hold those times dear because I got close. You know what he said? You find your cell. Now, here in America, we don't have, you know, most of us, if we're doing what we're supposed to, we're not going to be put in a cell. But we need to find those areas where we're saying, I'm going to find a way to get closer to God. And if it takes a hardship at work, maybe he's using that hardship to do that. And you find that gracious point of what he's doing in your life to come closer to God and experience his grace. I want to, as I said, go to a story in the scripture. I think it makes a good example of all these things, whether it's you're an employee and you've got a boss over you or you're dealing with the king or circumstances are just cruddy. And I want to go to the book of Daniel. A lot of us have heard this story as we've grown up in the church, maybe at VBS or one of these things. We could all probably give most of the details. But this is when Daniel was over in uh, 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 Babylon, Persia. And while he's there, there's this king named King Darius. Now, King Darius liked Daniel. In fact, Daniel had a very high and powerful job in the government, but he still had this king who was over him. Well, Daniel had been doing so great. I mean, he was just killing it at work. And so he had done so great that they kept promoting him and kept promoting him. Well, all the other leaders in the land, all the other governors, they were jealous of Daniel and they were trying to trip him up. They didn't like him because it looked like he was outshining them. He was just being a good employee. He was doing his best to give a good example to God. And so they devised this scheme and they got the king to absentmindedly sign off that if anybody prayed to anyone or anything else other than the king, then that person would be thrown in the lion's den. And the king, King Darius signed off on that. So they'd made the announcement. Anybody who defies this is going to be put in the lion's den. Well, Daniel 
knows that. He's still honoring the king, loves the king, working his tail off, but he would still, uh, as was his custom, would go and he would pray. He would face Jerusalem and he would pray and he would pray and he'd pray. His heart was towards God. Well, these co-workers of his, they got the evidence showing that he had done what he had done. And they take the news to King Darius. Now, King Darius likes Daniel. He's not really a God follower at this time. But now suddenly he's got to play boss. Suddenly he's got to play emperor. And they bring the news to him. And he realizes what had happened. It says in verse 14 of Daniel chapter 6. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to him, No king. That it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. They're like, you're stuck. Daniel's going in. There's nothing, king, that you can do about it. It says, verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So the king could try all he want, whatever he could do. But at the end of the day, he even had to sign off on it. He put his signet ring on there and he put Daniel into the lion's den. Now, if you're Daniel... What's your attitude towards the king? I have worked my tail off for that guy. I have, even though I was Jewish, I've been working for his kingdom. I've been helping him out. I've been doing everything he's asked me to do. I've proven my loyalty. I've been trustworthy. Anything that he's put into my lap, I have stewarded well. And it wasn't for me. It was for what he's doing. So who's this king putting me in the lion's den? Daniel could have total attitude. And in some ways, we'd say he has a right to. But watch the gracious thing that comes through Daniel's persecution, through him standing up in the midst of this. It says in verse 19, then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, how do you think Daniel's going to respond? I don't like you. I quit. I wish you were in here. (laughs) Daniel, I love how he responds. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Something had to be working in Daniel. It was something beyond Daniel. Daniel had to go over and above to allow God to do what he did. And and God had been with them in that place. He says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Because he had trusted in his God. And later on, if you go down to verse 25, I love this part. Not only had Daniel been gracious and been like, oh, king, live forever. Here's what God's done. Look what it did to King Darius. It says in verse 25, then King Darius 
wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I th- isn't that phenomenal? The king throws Daniel in there. Daniel, instead of having charges against the king, says, Oh, King Lift River, let me tell you what God did for me. He shut the lion's mouth. He kept me safe. I'm fine. And so when Daniel comes out, it had been so penetrating to the king. All that had happened, even though Daniel stood up in the midst of persecution and he, he, he never dishonored that king. I think he was in there praying for the king. And when he comes out, the king is so overwhelmed with what God's done. He gets on his little email uh, uh, onto Facebook or whatever they use back in Babylon. And he writes to the entire kingdom and all the nations. And everybody says, hey, everybody, I have a decree. Everybody honor the God of Daniel. Let me tell you about him. He lasts forever. His kingdom is ongoing. He helps people. Y'all need to pay attention to this God. What would have happened if Daniel would have been feisty? Angry, dishonoring, pouting. Woe is me. And I just trusted the Lord. This is a terrible situation. What am I going to do? I'm just going to trust the Lord. And he still honors the king. And the Lord takes the situation instead of one where a person of God was killed into one where a person of God was spared and the glory of God is announced. That's what happens when you go over and above living for the kingdom of God. When things look terrible and things look desperate. And yes, you might even die for your faith. But if you're going over and above for the kingdom of God, whether in your life or in your death or that hardship at work or even under the suppression of a wicked king or president. that If we stand up in the midst of that and are honorable to God and the people that he's put in charge over us, we will help declare the glory of God so other people might come to faith. What a great opportunity. The cool thing about this, God doesn't sit there and say, this is what I expect. You, you piddly, you piddly humans, just do it. God said, you want to see an example? Let me show you a, an example of what it is to stand up under the harshest of persecutions. And so if you go back to first Peter chapter two, it, it told us that Christ had been an example for us so that we might follow in his steps. Well, what did he do? It says in verse 22 of this chapter that he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Whether he uh, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's the father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed for you were straying like a sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Living in the kingdom calls us to go over and above. So God says, yeah, I've got great examples like Daniel over here or or uh, um, there was also um, 
Joseph in the Old Testament who had to bear up under persecution. He says, in order for you to know exactly what it means to understand grace. I'm sending Jesus. And it says he didn't talk back. There was nothing in his mouth. He didn't start cursing people. But he went through and he spent his life when it talks about that he spent his life. It was totally unjust and totally unfair. And it went into talking about it wasn't our king and it wasn't your boss that put him on the cross. It was you. The torture that he was enduring wasn't because it was just Palestinians in the first century who decided to crucify Jesus. It said as a result of your sin that was put upon his body, he went to the cross under the torture that you put upon him. You were the evil boss. You were the evil king. You were the one as a result of the passions of your flesh that put the injustice on Jesus. And what did he do? He never talked back. He never cursed. In fact, on the cross, the words that came out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yes, he was talking about first century Jews, but he was also talking about 21st century Americans. We sin and we don't know what we're doing. We don't live for the kingdom and we don't understand. Yet Jesus says, Father, forgive him. And so he took all of your sin. And I just want you to imagine just a pile of sin on this cross. It's just heaped up and it's gross and it's wicked and disgusting. And, and none of you, when you see it for what it really is, would ever go up and touch it, uh, let alone be in the same room with it. But Jesus didn't just touch it and he wasn't in, just in the same room. It says he put it on his body so that when the father looked at him, he looked disgusting. He looked so ravaged that in Isaiah chapter 52, he was so he was so persecuted for your sin. He no longer looked like a human being. And yet he never talked back. Instead, he looked at you and he said, I forgive you. At the cross, we find the greatest persecution under a government. Under bosses, under people, under us. And yet God said the kingdom and the people that are going to be in my kingdom are worth it. So he went over and above and he graciously died for you. And now that proclamation of what Jesus did is that good news of the gospel that goes out. And when you are persecuted, when it's tough in your life, when the bullies are out for you, it's not your opportunity to kick back at them with the way that the world would do it. You go over and above and you love your enemies. You pray for your enemies. You honor those that you're to honor. Why? Because in the midst of that, there's going to be something gracious that happens both for you and the opportunity for the good gospel to maybe save those who are persecuting you. This last week at Bible school, we were... We were talking about uh, some of this and we were talking about how there was a um, a man who had been over in India. He was a part of a tribe that was a bunch of headhunters. And some missionaries, some Welsh missionaries came into that place knowing that, I mean, they could be persecuted. They could lose their own head. But they went in there and they shared the gospel. And one family came to Christ, a man and his wife and his two sons. He came to Christ. And so as a result, the tribal leader. He was mad. And they had this man there and and said, you must deny your faith. And the man said, I won't deny my faith. And the man watched his wife as she was shot down with arrows. And he watched as they shot down his sons with arrows, watching his family being being killed. Because he wouldn't deny the good, gracious news of Jesus. 
And he ended up singing the song right there. This is where we get the song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. We are for a kingdom and there is no turning back. We go forward, we go over and above. And even when others go down or we are persecuted, I've decided to follow Jesus. He calls us to something greater. As a result of that man standing up for his faith, and even though his wife had died and even though his kids had died, the chief and others in the, in the, in the, in, in the village there saw his faith and ended up converting to Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. It calls us to something greater. But as a result, there might be people who come to faith watching you. They will see you. And it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God. And as we live into some of these times when it's going to get worse and worse and worse for those who call themselves Christians, I believe the opportunities to share the gospel are going to get better and better and better. You know where the church is growing fastest in the world? In the countries where Christians are being persecuted. We might have that opportunity really soon. Really soon. And when that time comes... I pray that our faith is so founded on Jesus Christ. That we would say this is for your kingdom, Jesus. When they talk to martyrs, people, people who are going to die, they've been persecuted. One of the things they say that gets them through is they, they say, you know what? When I'm about to be killed, that means I'm about to see Jesus. They can't wait. Whatever it takes. Paul said. It's good to live, but to die is gain. I get to go see Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Today, if you find yourself holding back at all. Holding back from being a good citizen, holding back from being that good employee, being holding back from from just abstaining from. Fleshly passions. You need the help of God to bring you to that place of saying, you know, I'm just going to trust you in all these situations. Next week, we're going to go into another difficult situation where it's really hard to trust. Marriage. But in all these areas of life, it all goes back to saying, you know what? Jesus and his blood is precious. His word, precious. What he's building us into, it's on precious Jesus. So it's his kingdom. Whatever he wants to do, I'm just going to trust him. Today, you might need to come to that place of saying, you know, I'm going to lay aside my rights, my desires, And I'm just whatever Jesus tells me to do right now, you might be feeling like you're in the lion's den. Somebody might have thrown you there. But right now is your opportunity to say, Lord, help me to trust you and help me to pray for that person who chucked me in here. Save that person, Lord. Save all the other people who will hear the message of Jesus Christ. So today, as we close, this is your opportunity to come and say, Lord, help me not to hold back. Help me to go further over and above as a part of a citizen of the kingdom of Christ.